If we belong to Jesus Christ, we are a people under grace. That's our privilege, plain and simple. The substance of the message we have received, it is grace. Pure, free, abundant, undeserved, saving grace. Do you know it today? And if you know it, are you living in the good of it? Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller, and glad you've joined us today as we continue a message we began last time, looking at an incredible privilege. Jonathan, you were just talking about grace there a moment ago, and uh, you asked a question. Do you know it? Are you living in the good of it? What does it mean to know grace? What does it mean to live in the good of grace? Well, God's grace has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Father's gift of grace to a needy and a dying world, and to know grace is really to know Jesus and to know his message of salvation. Jesus came to live the perfect life that you and I have failed to live, and he came to die the death that we deserve to die. He died in our place that we could be forgiven for all the wrong we've done. And to know God's grace is to know Jesus by faith, to trust him for forgiveness, and then to walk with him each day. That, that's what it means to live in the good of grace, to walk with Jesus and to live in relationship with him. And the opportunity is there for each one of us to do that by faith. Well, we're going to look at this today from the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. So grab a Bible and meet us there as we continue our message, An Incredible Privilege. Here is Jonathan. Now, the Bible is crystal clear that we as human people fallen in sin can never actually do enough to wipe away that sin and to make ourselves acceptable to the God of heaven. It's a hopeless exercise. His standard is perfection. We will never meet it. And his penalty for sin, it is death. There's no way that any of us can pay that penalty except through dying ourselves. And so the whole exercise is ultimately hopeless. The promise of rules-based religion is always empty. In fact, it is a kind of slavery. Do more, but never gain freedom. That's the empty promise of religion, of rule, of right, of ritual. Now, in utter contrast to that, the message of Jesus Christ, true gospel Christianity, it is grounded in grace. And grace is utterly unlike what I have just described. See, grace, it it recognizes the problem of sin, the moral failure of humanity, the holy standard of God, the reality of accountability and of judgment. Grace takes all of that into account, but in the wisdom and kindness of God, it finds a way through. You see, in grace, Jesus Christ came into this world and kept perfectly the holy standards of God. He never sinned. He never slipped up. He never failed. And with his perfect record perfectly intact, he went to the place of judgment for us as our substitute. He died the death that we deserve, bearing the punishment for our sin, and at the cross, a great exchange took place. Jesus took on my sin and yours, and he gave to us his perfect record of righteousness, of holiness, of obedience. And so now forgiveness from sin, freedom from guilt, the hope of heaven, these are given to us as gifts of grace as we trust in him. It's grace, full, free, unbound, unlimited grace for all who believe. We don't earn it. We never could. We don't pay for it. We would never have the resources. We don't work for it because the work has already been done. It is a gift given simply because of the kindness of the giver. 
It's the grace that moved John Newton, the slave trader nearly drowned in a storm, to pen what is perhaps the most famous hymn ever written, sung an estimated 10 million times a year. You know the words, I don't need to tell you, but they capture it so well, don't they? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. It's grace for the guilty, grace for the lost, grace for the hopeless. Now, it may just be that you are someone who has met religion, but you've never actually encountered grace. You've labored under this idea that you need to earn your way into the favor of God. That is a terrible burden. That is a cruel burden to bear, and it is ultimately an impossible task. But the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel, it is the message of grace, the free, unmerited favor and forgiveness of God, one through the work of Jesus Christ, accessed by faith. That's grace. And it's grace to you, and it's grace for you, if you will, but receive it by faith. I wonder if you'll do that. And for us who believe, our joy is now to live in the good of that grace each and every day. Sometimes, you know, we can start the Christian life with grace, but move on really quite quickly to works. The message of grace, when it first comes to us, it comes to us as a balm and a healing for the soul, and we receive the gift of forgiveness as, a, as something of grace. And of course, grace moves us to want to obey Jesus and to pursue holiness. It must do that. But sometimes within this, a subtle shift takes place in our thinking. And we imagine that as a people who have been saved by grace, our standing in an ongoing way now depends upon works. But friends, we, we begin in grace, we stand in grace, and we will one day be taken home in grace. Newton captured that, of course, didn't he, in the third verse. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far. And how does it go? And grace will lead me home. We begin in grace, we continue in grace, and grace is going to lead me home. I, I only pause to emphasize that because some among us will be laboring under an acute sense of failure in the Christian life. There'll be some among us who are laboring under that sense today. You know, we're not, we're not serving as we ought to serve. We're not growing in holiness as we should be growing. We, we feel we're losing the battle with sin. We're, we're not the witness that we ought to be, and we fear that God must now reject us because we're not living up to his expectations. Now, I, I have absolutely no doubt that a number will be feeling precisely that way today. And somewhere in our heart and in our mind, here's what has happened. Grace has slipped away. We, we know we began in grace, but we, we, we think, well, having started in grace, it is over to us now to perform. Jesus gave me a wonderful start in the Christian life in grace, but, but now I've got to measure up. I've been given so much. And, and of course, we don't measure up. None of us measures up and the feelings of despair start to creep in. But here's the reminder of our great privilege. If we belong to Jesus Christ, we are a people under grace. Concerning this salvation, says Peter, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. See, that's our privilege, plain and simple. The substance of the message we have received, it is grace, pure, free, abundant, undeserved, saving grace. Do you know it today? And if you know it, are you living in the good of it?
You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. Our message is called An Incredible Privilege, and it's part of our series, Faith Under Fire. Now we're going to pause here, but we'll get back to the message from 1 Peter chapter 1 in just a moment. So I hope you'll stay with us. Well, if you want to find out a little bit more about Encounter the Truth, I hope you'll come check out our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter and check out our weekly devotional called Moment of Truth. You'll also find links there to connect with us on social media like Facebook and Instagram, and that's a great way to stay connected with this ministry. Again, you're going to find all those links and a lot more at EncounterTheTruth.org. But whether you listen to Jonathan's teaching on the radio, through our podcast, or on the app, it is all made possible through your generosity. So thank you for giving to and supporting this ministry. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book that Jonathan has picked out. It's called The Definition of Christianity. Have you ever wondered who gets to determine what Christianity means? And is it possible to even understand its original message after so many centuries of tradition and conflicting ideas? Well, David Gooding and John Lennox throw some fresh light on some of these questions. And it's all in the book, The Definition of Christianity, our thank you gift to you as you give a financial gift of any amount this month. Find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 1-833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884 or EncounterTheTruth.org. Let's get back to the message. Again, here is Jonathan. Our privilege flows from the substance of the message and next it flows from the announcement of the message. Often in preparing for a big announcement, a government announcement about policy, maybe the release of a new book, the launch of a new business, there is a great deal of work done in the background by way of preparation. There is planning, there is strategy, there is a pre-release of certain information to prepare the ground, but then the big day comes. Before Jesus Christ came on the scene in Galilee and announced the coming of the kingdom and preached the good news, called men and women to repent and believe as he did, before that great day, there had been a huge amount of preparation done, preparation involving many agents over many centuries. The prophets, verse 10, had been prophesying about the grace to come. The Spirit of the Lord had indicated that salvation was at hand. The prophet saw and understood something of the coming sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And hints of this are just woven throughout the whole Old Testament. We could spend the rest of the day thinking about this, but you know, it begins, I think, with the promise to Eve right at the beginning, at the time of the fall, that her offspring would crush the head of the serpent, that her descendant would defeat the work of Satan in the end. There was the promise to Abraham that through his offspring all the nations of the earth would be blessed, and in that promise we see the hope of gospel grace reaching out to the nations. There's the promise to David, great King David, that his son would be given a kingdom that would never end. And then there are those moments in the Old Testament, key moments, where it seems that the cross of Calvary is presented to us with such marvelous clarity, crystal clarity, prophetic portraits of the cross that could have been written, it seems to us, by an eyewitness, but that came centuries before. I think especially of Psalm 22, where the suffering king cries out in these familiar words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he continues, all who see me mock me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. I can count 
all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots, centuries before the cross. That's the suffering. And then then the glory in the same Psalm, Psalm 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you, says the suffering king. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. It is a prophetic vision of the suffering of Christ and his subsequent glories. I think of Isaiah 53 and the portrait known so well of the suffering servant who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, so he opens not his mouth. And yet, looking forward, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. I could go on, but you know, it's all there. The sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories set down in black and white centuries ahead of time. And you know, it's a reminder for us that the Old Testament is a book as a whole that speaks of Jesus and points us to Jesus. The whole Old Testament is preparing for the coming of the Savior, and it speaks of him in varied ways, sometimes implicit, sometimes more explicit, but the whole of the Old Testament is pointing us to him. And because that's true, as we read the Old Testament, we want to be asking ourselves all the time, how is this pointing me to Jesus? How is this teaching me of his saving work? How is this moving me to delight in him and trust in him and marvel at him and worship him? Now, as the prophets pointed to Jesus, verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now, remember, these are believers who are under pressure. Believers like us today who might have been tempted to feel sorry for themselves, to feel maybe I've missed out on the golden age, the good old days, whatever those were, when it was easy to belong to the Lord. What is Peter showing them? What's he showing us? He is showing us that the prophets who prophesied for all those generations and centuries concerning the coming Savior, they were in a very real way serving us, serving me, serving you, serving our generation, the people of our age. I tend to be a bit of a nostalgic pessimist, I think. My wife is a wonderful optimist and not nostalgic. We were in a gift shop uh, some time ago, and and there was a sign on a shelf uh, that that simply said on it, these are the good old days. And she she said, you know, for your sake, I think we need to just buy that and have that in the house. And and so we do. She bought it, and, and we have it in the house. These are the good old days. And that's such a helpful reminder for me. The prophets were laying the groundwork for the announcement of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel in the church's age. And this foundational work of the prophets, it's so essential. It's really one of the fundamental features of the Christian faith that sets our faith apart from all other world religions. I don't know if you've considered this. I've I've mentioned this before, I think, but it's so worth emphasizing 
If you compare the Christian understanding of revelation, that is, of how God has made himself known and revealed his plans and his purposes, compare that to any other world religion, it is this particular feature of the the long continuity of the prophetic witness that actually sets Christian revelation apart in a very special way. Think about Islam by way of example. Revelation is said to be centered on one man, and in particular on one night in a cave on his own. That's where revelation, it is said, came to Muhammad. Now that, that claim, that is very, very difficult to verify. You know, what are the reference points here? How is, how is that questioned? How is that challenged? How is that proved? But consider what God has done in and through his prophets. He has spoken his promises over centuries, over millennia, and then in time and space and history, he has acted in his sovereignty to fulfill those promises, just as he said he would. And the predictions of the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories made it clear to us that when the promised Savior came, there could be no doubt about who he was. You know, no one would make up the idea of the Christ coming and suffering as he did, and then dying in agony, and then rising again in glory. It's also unlikely to the human mind, but the fact that it was predicted by God and worked out in human flesh and on earth's very soil, well, the evidence, it speaks for itself. This was he of whom the prophet spoke, promised of old, now come to save. But ours is the generation of privilege. You see, these are the good old days. It is the people of our age, of our day, of the church's age, who see the promises fulfilled, who hear the proclamation of the message of grace, who have now seen the Messiah come. Jesus proclaimed the message for all to hear. And since him, preachers have come to make him known, starting with the apostles, and they have done so, end of verse 12, by the Holy Spirit, who was sent from heaven, who has enabled all this. And these things, they are so very, very wonderful, and the announcement of them is so greatly anticipated that they are things, says Peter, into which angels long to look. Isn't that a remarkable thing? The, the image here is of something very, very exciting being unveiled, and, and, and a group jostling to look over shoulders to see it. Perhaps it's a child's birthday party. Picture the scene. And she's, she's just opened a very special present. And all the children gather around and strain to look over shoulders to see what is there. Here we have the angels straining over the shoulders of the prophets, longing to see what God has planned and what God has purpose, longing to see what has been set down to be revealed finally in our age, in the church's age. And, you know, even now, even today, the angels, as it were, look over our shoulders, yours and mine, because they do not have the personal experience of salvation in the way that you and I have it. They they behold it, but they do not experience it. But you see, for us, for you and me, for the redeemed, the the message is personal, and it is experiential, and it is specially and truly for us. And because of this, our privilege, yours and mine, it is beyond compare. 
I think it's all too easy for us to mope around and feel pretty sorry for ourselves at the present time. You know, we, we can feel as though we're kind of the lost generation of Christians, the marginalized generation, the hard done by generation. You know, look at how we're being squeezed to the margins, and of course we are. Look, look at how tough it is to follow Christ in this day and age when the society seems to be against us, and, and it is tough. And Peter says to us, no, no, you've got it all wrong. You see, we are the privileged generation. We are the favored age. Through the centuries, the Lord had been preparing the ground for the grand announcement that was to come to us, the announcement of salvation, the message of grace. And having received that, you know, we don't mope around and just feel sorry for ourselves all the time. Uh Uh-uh. No, there is work for us to do, and there is sin for us to fight. We need to stand up, and we need to engage. We need to pursue distinctive holiness And that's where Peter's going to take us next time. Just notice it with me as we look ahead for next time. Since we're so very privileged, verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct." Now, we'll consider those verses next time, God willing, but that's where our privilege takes us. Active service in light of the Lord's return and distinctive holy living in the meantime. The message of grace has come to us, you and me, in this age, in this era. To be recipients of this saving message, this message of grace, to see it worked out, it is an immense privilege, isn't it? It's a privilege that lifts us from self-pity and moves us to active service and to true holiness in the kindness of God. Let's pray together as we close. God, our Father, we marvel at the privilege that is ours in Jesus Christ, that we should see his suffering and subsequent glory and hear the message of grace which transforms our lives. Help us to live in awe of this grace and in the joy of it each day. Deliver us from self-pity and complaint, but make us faithful servants of yours, zealous for good, pursuing holiness, longing to make the grace of the Lord Jesus known until he returns. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth and part of a message called An Incredible Privilege. Maybe you want to go back and listen to today's broadcast again or any previous broadcast in our series. You can do that at our website. Just come to EncounterTheTruth.org. There you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. Again, that's at EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, Encounter the Truth is on this station because of your generosity. So thank you for giving to and supporting this ministry. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book that you've picked out, Jonathan. It is called The Definition of Christianity. And can you give us a a bit of an idea of what's in this book? Well, I think there are a lot of myths around about what the Christian message is and what defines the Christian faith. I think a lot of people will think that they, they know And they have a pretty good idea of what Christianity is all about, but actually haven't gone back to the source material and really investigated that question. And it's a hugely important question. 
And here in the definition of Christianity, David Gooding and John Lennox take us back to the source material, to the book of Acts, where we see the apostles engaging with the philosophers and the teachers of the first century world and explaining what the Christian gospel is, who Jesus is, and what it means to trust him and to follow him. And I think this is a vitally important study. I think it's going to be a real help to Christian believers, clarifying what we understand and what we believe. And it's going to be a real help to those who are investigating the faith and actually wanting to know, in all honesty and in all seriousness, what is Christianity all about. I hope this book will be a real encouragement and a real help to you. Well, we would love to send you a copy of this book, The Definition of Christianity, is our way of saying thank you for your financial support this month. Find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884. Or again, the website is EncounterTheTruth.org. For producer Mark Bretta and our Bible teacher, Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.